unfairness. Unfairness is one of those particularly hard things to heal from because it hits in a unique way on an internal level. After all, if something unfair happens to you, at best, it's because somebody doesn't see you. At worst, they're misunderstanding you or they don't care about you. And when you speak up about unfairness and nothing changes, it further emphasizes that you are not seen or heard or cared for. And that hits hard. It hits at your identity. It hits at your value. So what do you do when you're in an unfair situation? How do you heal when that unfairness doesn't go away? How do you trust God when it seems like he's not fixing it? I came across our next guest seemingly by accident. It seemed like a fluke in the system on Podmatch, but it's actually by God's design. And very quickly, when I looked at Susan's information, one thing stood out to me, and that was unfairness. I felt like God was saying that there is something he wanted to reveal about healing when it comes to unfairness. So if you're in an unfair situation, I hope you are encouraged by Susan's story, not just what happened, but how she understands God decades later and what that means for you today. You're listening to episode 84 of the Where Did You See God podcast. Father God, I just want to thank you that you are God and you are good. And I thank you, um, even in the midst of busyness, that you can bring calm and quiet and you can bring just robust conversation um, where you can show up. And so we just invite that today. We just really believe that you brought about this conversation and we really believe that you can work through it and in it and around it. And so we want to give it to you, all of our words, all of our thoughts, uh, just release it to you. I just invite you to work both in this time, but also beyond this time in ways that only you can. So this is yours. We pray that you are honored and glorified by it. Most famous holy name. Amen. Amen. So Susan, it is good to meet you. We have never connected before, but Podmatch has brought us together. And I'm actually excited about what we're going to talk about today. And really, I don't know where God's going to take the conversation. But what stood out to me most in our limited interaction was the topic of unfairness is what really came out. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there's some powerful things that we can really hit on in that. But before we do, one thing that I do at the start is I want to find a fun way for guests to just quickly share who they are and I'm playing around with how they do this, but one of the ways that I've done it is making it like an improv game on my part where I have to come up with something on the fly. I pulled back a little bit on that. So uh, (laughs) I came up with something this morning, so it's close to that. But yours is a little thematic. We just got away from Thanksgiving and your prompt is this. I want you to imagine that Macy's has invited you to be a part of the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. So you could decide whether it's a float or whether it's a balloon. But there is either a float or a balloon that is based on Susan. And I'm watching the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade on my TV. And they're coming through. And the announcers are like, all right. And now it's the Susan balloon. And then they say a quick little blurb about who you are as the balloon goes past. What do they say about Susan? The main thing I can think of right now is I would have four Chihuahua balloons. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I have four Chihuahua dogs and they kind of rule my household. <laughs> so, so I can envision, you know, the people holding onto the balloons and the balloons kind of having control over the people who are trying to hold on to them. <laughs> I love it. And you've written a book, correct? Yes. 
Tell me maybe the back cover of the book. What is that book and what's it about? You'd mentioned earlier unfairness, and that's really what this book is about. It's it's about a, an, an extremely unfair situation that happened to my family. My husband was falsely accused of sexually molesting my nine-year-old daughter, and we'd only been married for six weeks. Mm. They took my daughter away without any investigation uh, and put her into foster care. It was three years before she was back living with us again. And through that time, we went through some absolutely horrible circumstances where I thought that things were going to get better every so often, you know, it looked like things would would turn out okay, and then it would take a turn for the worse. And I felt like we were on an alien planet. Mm-hmm. You know, the whole justice system, the way that I had understood that it was supposed to work was not working that way at all. Mm-hmm. As prosecutors became more and more bent on prosecuting something that was pretty innocuous. I mean, and even what they were accusing wasn't even true, but no one would listen to us. You know, every time we told our side of the story, it was completely ignored and it was continued to be uh, promoted by the prosecutors, by the Department of Social Services, by everybody who was involved in the child protection system. So I titled my book Wheels of Injustice because it felt like we were just being run over over and over again. Mm. So it was it was a very difficult time. It took me quite a while really to get over it. it. Took me a long time to get to the point where I could even write this book. I started it 30 years ago. Oh wow. And God wanted me to write this book because what happened was I started it. I wrote what now is, in essence, the middle part of the book. I wrote it, and then I got to the point where they took my daughter away, and it got to be so painful I couldn't write anymore, so I put it away. I just put it all in a box and just ignored it and tried to forget about it. We moved into a a newer home about three years ago. I was going through boxes in the garage, and I was tossing most of them out because it was just junk we'd been carrying around for years, Mm -hmm. just boxes of old receipts and things like that. So most of them I was throwing away, and some of them I was just tossing them without even looking in the box. Mm. But this one, I just happened to open it up, and uh, there it was. It was all of this paperwork, all of the paperwork from the courts, from the psychologist reports, my manuscript, everything was in this box. I thought, that is so weird. I thought I had thrown that away a long time ago. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But there it was. So I thought, well, I don't know if I'll do anything with it, but I think I'll at least bring it in the house and put it in a drawer. So I did that. And then by coincidence, I happened to meet online someone who was from Nigeria. He was very interested in the United States. He was interested in hearing more about an American, and he was interested in learning more about me. So I would write these explanations of what my life was like and some of the things that I'd gone through. And as I was doing that, I did get to the point where I talked about this false accusation. He kept asking more questions and I kept writing more. And the more I wrote, the more he kept saying, you should write a book. And I said, I did write a book. Well, I started a book. And he says, well, you should finish the book. I had written so much at that point that I wrote a large part of the book 30 years ago. And then I wrote 
more of it uh, just a couple of years ago when I was responding to this friend of mine. So I decided, well, maybe I'm supposed to write a book. <laughs> so, yeah. so that's what I did. And uh, he kind of dared me that I wouldn't do it. He's a Christian also, mm -hmm. very strong Christian. So we've had a really wonderful experience talking back and forth and speaking about God and how he works in our lives. But I think he did this on purpose. He bet me that I would not finish the book <laughs> since it had been sitting there for 30 years. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so I couldn't let that stand. So I had to finish the book. So I did. It's called Wheels of Injustice, Saving My Child from the Child Savers. Wow. That was basically what happened. I had to save her from people who thought that they were saving her and they were actually really destroying our family. Hmm. And that's that's intense. Yeah. <laughs> and, you, and you've only <laughs> kind of gleaned over this story. And there's so much in there that really stands out to me. You know, one of the first things you said that hit me was you said it was like you were on an alien planet. Mm -hmm. I feel like I resonate with what you're saying, but I would love for you to share more. What do you mean by that? What was that like? I had certain expectations before this happened. Mm -hmm. Living in the United States, you believe in things like due process, that you're innocent until you're proven guilty. You believe that there needs to be some kind of evidence of a crime before you're charged with a crime. You believe that people are going to treat you fairly, that they're going to listen to your side of the story. They're going to think about it, that they are not going to just make up things, yeah. you know, just lie about you. You don't expect that. And at least I didn't. I grew grew up in a small town, very conservative, small town, conservative values. I grew up going to church. For the most part, my previous life experience had been with people who were fair. And if there was an occasional person now and then who was unfair, and I can think of really only one big example before this time that really you know stuck in my mind, I, I my life was pretty, let's say, fair. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, if I was treated badly, it was because I deserved it. <laughs> yeah. I had never for so such a long period of time been treated this way. I'd never experienced these kinds of things. They are all things that I did not think could happen in the United States. Mm -hmm. And it did. It felt exactly like I was on another planet. Yeah. Where did we end up? This is some alternate universe. Mm -hmm. uh, this can't be happening. Yeah. I think you're hitting at something so important in this conversation about unfairness. Because I feel like that's often what many of us who feel like we're in an unfair situation face is we thought life was supposed to look like this. We thought things were supposed to work this way. We were told if we had these characteristics and operated with integrity that things would work out. And so then when it doesn't, it's incredibly jarring. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and yes. we don't know how to respond. And you mentioned this other piece too when you were sharing your story is it wasn't just that the systems weren't working in the way that you were raised to believe they would and you thought that they should, but internally you knew what you believed and what you were experiencing and it seemed like no one else could see it or no one else could believe mm -hmm. it or no one else mm -hmm. wanted to believe it. And so in that way, it almost feels like you're an alien in this space of like, <laughs> yes, I feel like I know what I'm talking about, but it nobody else seems to know. Yeah. Did you feel that too? Oh, like yeah. this is, the way I've heard people put it is it's like you start to wonder if you're crazy or not. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. A two part question. How did you navigate that in the moment? And how have you healed from that sense? Mm hmm. 
Uh, well, this whole situation went on for, like I said, three years from, I would say, start to finish, because I would say that even though my daughter ended up being placed with my ex-husband for a while, it wasn't the way it was before. You know, we, we did not have the opportunity to have her come and, and, and live in our home again like she had been. During that time, my reactions were pretty bad. <laughs> I would say, if I were going to say, you know, if God could be proud of me, well, he probably wasn't. <laughs> because because my reactions were all over the place because I was just so confused and disturbed and distressed by the situation that I, you know, I just kept asking God to get me out of the situation. I wanted it to be done and gone and no longer part of my life, but it just, it hung in there. Yeah. You know, there was a time when I really hoped things would get better. And then they charged my husband with this felony mm. that the penalty was 16 years in prison. Wow. Then they charged me with neglect for not saving my daughter from being abused. I got to a point where I was so, they told me that I had to kick my husband, who we only been married six weeks. I had to kick him out of the house. They said it would be best if I would divorce him. And they said that that was the only way I could get my daughter back, that I had to believe them, go along with it and kick him out of the home. And after we talked to an attorney and a psychologist, they said, don't do it, because if you do, then they will take that as an admission of guilt, and then they will use that as part of the prosecution against him. They will say that you obviously believed that he was guilty, and that's why you kicked him out of the house. Mm -hmm. So I was under extreme amount of pressure to do that. Uh, you know, it was they would pressure me, what kind of mother are you, you know, that you would allow your daughter to be away from home and not, you know, want to want to bring her back home again. And I wanted her to be home and she so badly wanted to come home. And during this time, I was allowed visitation with her about one to two hours a week. Mm -hmm. And it was in a Department of Social Services building under their watchful eye. And I was not allowed to talk to her about anything to do with the case, about why she was taken, mm -hmm. when she could, would get to come home, anything like that. I got to a point where I just was so stressed out, I tried to kill myself. Mm -hmm. And I did it in such a way that I thought, this is foolproof. Uh, nobody's ever going to find me. Then nobody can stop me. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to, you know, I just can't do it anymore. I was just beside myself at that point and felt like I couldn't carry on. So I drove up in kind of a mountainous area. We lived in Colorado. So I drove up into the foothills to this very isolated place that I knew about. And I took a bunch of, the doctor had prescribed anxiety medication. And I also had some pain pills left over from a tooth extraction. So I took all of that and a wine cooler and I went up and I laid down on a flat rock and I told God, I said, I can't take this anymore. I can't do it you're going to have to do something. If you want me to live, you're going to have to do something because I don't want to live anymore. I took the pills, drank the wine cooler, laid down on a rock. I passed out. I thought I was, you know, that for me, that was the end. The next thing I remember was sitting on a curb in front of a grocery store. Mm. <laughs> and then the next thing I remember was signing uh, paperwork to be admitted into the hospital. Mm. So God performed a miracle. Wow. I mean, that was absolutely a miracle because I wanted to make sure that that did not happen. Yeah, That's really where, where God came. And every time I think about this whole situation, I remember that he saved me. I dared him to, <laughs> and he did. <laughs> yeah. 
there's something really important there too in what you just shared. Like when we talk about unfairness, our minds tend to be very binary in how they think, right? It's right and wrong. Yes. So somebody is right and somebody is wrong. Yes. And when it goes into litigation, then that's how it functions is mm -hmm. the whole purpose of litigation is to figure out who's right and who's wrong and then put a stamp on it and hope you got it right, <laughs> right? It's <Yeah>. like, <laughs> and what we miss is that there are people made in the image of God, humans who are broken, but oftentimes trying to live their best lives, like in the midst of this. And as you're sharing your story, all I could think was, there had to be so many people that were stuck in that right and wrong mentality. Mm -hmm. There were people that looked at you and said, she's wrong, she's guilty, she's complicit. And what your story proves is that regardless of right and wrong, you were in a space where the unfairness was so much that you you were done, mm -hmm. right? Like mm -hmm. it wasn't like you were an, an evil mastermind <laughs> concocting all these schemes. You were so heartbroken. Yes. You were ready to be done. And I think this is the thing that we miss so often when we're talking about unfairness and when we're talking about how someone can heal from it is our default goes to, well, let's figure out who's right, who's wrong. Let's fix the situation. Well, some situations can't be fixed. Mm -hmm. That's right. At least not in the way that we want them to be. And God in his wisdom knew that one of the things that you needed most was presence and love and to be seen. Because mm -hmm, that's what mm -hmm, he did. Mm -hmm, he was yes. with you <laughs> up on that flat rock on the mountain. Yes. He saw you. He heard you. And he loved you so much that he kept you from doing what mm -hmm. you intended to do. Yeah. The other thing that stood out to me was this wasn't yesterday. This story is decades in the making. Yes. And you are still here processing that. So what has that journey of healing looked like? Like, How has God continued to show that he is a healer, even if things aren't fixed? Mm -hmm. or unfairness continues. Yeah. How has God shown himself as healer? Well, I think it's really taken two tracks. One track has been the visible side, the part that, that people ended up seeing. And that was that this whole situation made me so angry that I wanted to do something about it. So I told everybody I knew about what had happened. I wanted to expose the system. I wanted to make it really hard on them. So I was uh, in the beginning really out for, let's say, revenge. My revenge was going to be, I was going to, you know, expose them. And then I continued to work on it and eventually got to the legislators and we got laws changed. So for me, that was my outward revenge <laughs> was, was to change the laws and change policies, change training, change the system. As a group, uh, there was a, you know, a group of us who banded together to do this. And as a group, we did. We really changed the laws. Uh, they started improving in the 90s. They changed their way of doing things. So outwardly, that was one way. Then there was the part of me that's just me and my reaction to it, my healing from it. And so the healing really didn't come from changing the system. The healing came from what I worked with God to achieve and what God achieved in me. And that was through that process, I had to actually work with people that were my enemy. We collaborated on a task force to change the laws. So that started me in that role of having to forgive people, at least enough to where I could work with them. It, it was difficult to forgive. Yeah. 
I was able to do it as I started seeing some of the people and understanding where they were coming from and what their experiences were. So I saw it from another angle and that started to begin to help me to heal. But in the long run, it just took me hearing God and what he wanted me to do. And one, there are two things he wanted me to do. Well, the one of them was to forgive people. I didn't have to forget the situation, but I, I have to forgive them. And the second one was to thank God. And this was really hard. <laughs> it's hard to thank God for giving you hell, mm -hmm. basically, on earth. And that was how it felt at the time. So yeah. thanking God in all circumstances you know, it's pretty easy when things are going fairly okay. But thanking him for things that are awful is really difficult. But I finally did get to the point where I am grateful that this happened. I don't know why it happened, but I'm very grateful to God because it's part of my journey. In the end, I am closer to him than I ever was. I feel every day like I want to spend more time with him. I want to be closer. I want to let the Holy Spirit work in me. It's brought me to this point. So it's all good. It's all good. It's just like Romans 8, 28 says, all things work together for good to those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. He worked his purpose in me and it's all good. You know, that verse is interesting because I feel like at different seasons of our life, we understand it differently. Yes. You know, early on in our faith, it's a very exciting thing. Oh, wow. Like everything's going to be good. Uh -huh. Great. Like, oh <laughs> right. my God. And then as we continue on and we experience injustice or unfairness, then we start to wonder how that verse can even be true, because I thought the verse said that God wants good for me, but this is clearly not good. Mm -hmm. But then you fast forward, if somebody is willing to continue to trust God and seek God, even when it seems like God has abandoned them or intentionally hurt them. You get to this point where you have just described it, where you can say something that objectively is not good is good, right? Yes. Like that situation, the world would look at that and say, that's an awful situation. Why would you ever thank God for that? Why would you ever be glad mm -hmm. that that happened? Mm -hmm. And you're in a position now where you know why, but you can't quite explain it because the wisdom of God is foolishness to man, right? Like yes. <laughs> you're you're starting to realize things that don't make sense in normal human logical thinking because mm -hmm. normal human logical thinking is the family is able to have a happy, healthy life together mm -hmm. without any issues and systems run great for everyone involved. And like we were saying at the start, as long as you're a good person, life will be good. Mm -hmm. And you're at a place now where you realize the goal isn't to have a perfect life. It's to be in relationship with a perfect God. Mm -hmm. And if Jesus has said, in this world, you'll have trouble. Yes. <laughs> if we know that we are still broken, then at some point, we've got to accept the fact that life on earth is never going to be perfect in the way that we think it will. But God will always be perfect. Right. And so in that sense, now this verse about how God works for the good starts to take a different shape. It's no longer everything will be good in my life but that instead we will begin to see how all of God's goodness can influence our life, even in the worst of situations. Yes, and it all works for his purposes. Mm -hmm. We're part of a plan that he is enacting. And if we allow ourselves to be, we can be a wonderful part of his plan. And I a lot of times would think of Joseph and his situation and how his brothers tried to kill him. And how I believe it was in that story where he said, you meant harm against me, but God meant it for good. Mm -hmm. And that's how I felt, how I ended up in the end feeling is that 
you know, I don't know what their motivation was. I don't know how much they hated us. They acted like they did, <laughs> but they, but it doesn't matter because, it, you know, the harm that was intended to cause us, it did not. In the end, we're stronger for it. And, and you know, God brought us to the other side. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I just am really happy that I can be here and give God the glory for everything. Yeah. I like to write poetry. That's another thing I started doing in just the last couple of years is writing poetry. And I wrote a big old long poem <laughs> about this whole situation. But if it's okay, could I read part of it? Yeah. I was going to read part of it because it. I think it kind of helps to kind of explain what I went through and where I got to. Mm. It's written in three parts. So here's where it starts on part two. I'll read. start reading that. Nothing is stopping this frightening fate. What do they want? My head on a plate? The wheels keep on grinding. I'm losing my trust. I'm losing my faith. I'm ground into dust. This nightmare ordeal, when will it end? Or might I not ever see normal again? It's hard now to see any path to succeed, any way to dismiss what the court has decreed. One thing is clear, and this I can say. I now know how Jesus felt too on that day, when he also suffered the crowd's condemnation, when he also faced a false accusation. God, I'm slipping, don't let me fall into a gulf that to all would appall. And then I wanted to read the last part of it. And I go, uh, and it says, I've lost so much, and I don't know if I've fallen too far off the salvation cliff. It seems that my faith most surely has died, but I am not dead, even though I had tried. So I'll take a chance that I really have heard the voice of a God who has heard every word of all of the prayers I sent up above and doesn't hold grudges. He only holds love. Slowly I rise to my feet and endure the rest of my fate. Turning wheels obscure the meaning of justice, of fairness, and truth, concepts that I thought were true in my youth. Now it is clear people cannot achieve or uphold all the values we're told to believe. Faith shouldn't rest on what people will do. Disappointment will follow. Mistrust will ensue. I slowly find my way back to the Lord. He calls to me and soon after restores my hope and my faith in his goodness and grace. And I walk with Jesus each day that I face. That's powerful. Thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. When As you were sharing it, it really reminded me of a number of David's Psalms that are kind of in that same vein of, this is awful. <laughs> this situation yes. is horrible, <laughs> and I can't find any way out of it. And I'm trying to trust you, God. I'm going to claim that you are still God, but I don't know what's ahead, but I want to see like it's that it has that same kind mm -hmm. of a feel. Mm -hmm. You know, as you're reading it, it also made me think it reminded me that I was actually thinking of this idea of unfairness just the other day and didn't make the connection <laughs> that we would be having this conversation. <laughs> it was in this situation where I was being accused of something that I knew wasn't true. And not only was it not true, but it was like the opposite of what had actually happened. Mm -hmm. And I've been in this situation many times before. And every time that it happens, it's incredibly frustrating because your desire is for truth to be out, for people to see it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, if everyone just knew what's actually true, we wouldn't have to be in this tension anymore. And how frustrating it can be when, like in your poem, it's like, I don't know if any of this is going to work out. Yeah. I don't know how to fight against this. You know, that internal struggle hits in such a way that it's not only hard to explain, but it's also hard to navigate through. It's hard to persevere mm -hmm. through because it hits at such a deep level. Yes. But I think, you know, your, your poem really hits at what our invitation is, 
is that when we can't step anymore, how do we decide to still step one more time towards God? <laughs> you mm -hmm. know, yeah. when we don't have the strength, when we don't know where our foot will land, how do we still resolve to still do it? Yeah. You know, and it's yeah. such a hard thing that really is only by the power and grace of God that we're able to. Yes. Because in and of ourselves, we all one way or another hit these places similar to what you hit on that mountain mm -hmm. is I give up. Everything I've tried has not worked. I have no more answers. I have no more strength. Yes. And yet we have a loving God that meets us in those moments and basically very calmly and patiently says, I know, <laughs> and I'm mm -hmm. here. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. It's amazing. Uh, when I, you know, worked on the book and as I edit the book and, and was uh, continuing to polish it, it took me back. Uh, it made me relive some of the, the situations and some of those things that I went through. And even now I wonder where I got the strength from, yeah. you know, I had the one breakdown that was just a total breakdown. I had a second kind of breakdown where I didn't try to kill myself, but I did reach a point where I said, God, I'm not going to believe in you anymore. Mm-hmm. And I told him he had to prove to me that he existed. So that was the second time mm -hmm. that I went through a trauma like that. And that was after I happened to get pregnant during the time that shortly before the trial started. Mm -hmm. And then the trial happened and my husband was found not guilty, which was great. And I thought now they'll return my daughter and they did not. They continued to pursue it. They continued to prosecute a what they call dependency and neglect against me, which is crazy. How does that happen? How can I be guilty of not protecting her against abuse that did not occur? Mm -hmm. But, you know, hey, it's the court systems. And it was in this crazy planet I was on. I got pregnant. And then um, three days before this hearing was supposed to take place, I went to the doctor and he said the baby had died. Oh, wow. That just really hit me. Uh, I, I finally, I, I went to the dependency neglect hearing and I said, I'll sign whatever, just get out of my life. And I signed and they did not get out of my life. <laughs> Turns out what happens is once you do that, now you're allowing them to continue to have your life and control over the relationship. We had to go to therapy. So we went to therapy for two more years before I was finally able to get her back home. Oh. Crazy. It was crazy. It's a lot. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. And I think about every day I had to get up and face that. Mm -hmm. Every day I had to get up and face something you know, like that, that happened. Yeah. And God brought me through all of it. And he showed me, he's the one who showed me that he existed mm -hmm. after I told him I wasn't going to believe in him. And it was all up to him to show me, to prove to me. And uh, so that's why I'm here today. Yeah. Yeah. This idea of writing, you know, whether it's a book or a journal or a poem keeps on coming up mm -hmm. in conversations as a way that God helps to bring about some healing. Mm -hmm. There's something about getting the ruminating thoughts out of our head onto something. And yeah, as you were sharing, it reminded me of a similar experience of reading something I had written and being able to recognize God's strength in the midst. Uh, there's a number of things that was happening, but one of them was some uh, traumatic work stuff. And afterwards, after I lost job, I felt like I was inviting me to write it all down. It ended up mm -hmm. being 25 pages of stuff. That yeah. Same deal. <laughs> I actually, it remind you what you said that reminded me of it is you said as you were writing it, you were reliving these things. Mm -hmm. And it was just, mm -hmm. it made it hard to write. <laughs> but I remember yes. going back to it and being able to look back and one, 
it was almost like God used that to bring some affirmation. Cause in the moment you think you understand, but there's so much you don't understand. And then people are questioning it. And once you've gotten some distance, you can look back at a situation and say, oh, actually that was a really rough situation. Mm-hmm. Like that was an unjust situation. I wasn't just being yeah. sensitive or I wasn't misunderstanding. Like uh-huh. that's actually objectively not. Yeah. And so like there's this affirmation that can come. Yeah. But then I had similar moments where I looked back and I was like, how in the world <laughs> did I function <laughs> with all these things going on? Uh-huh. Yeah. Exactly. And this is what's beautiful about God is that we will be in a hard situation. We will cry out to him. And then we have our ideas of what he needs to do in order to work. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And then we can be in those spaces where it seems like he's not working. But what you and I have just talked about uh-huh. is that it is entirely possible for God to hear our prayers, to be present and to work and for us to totally miss it. Yes. Or to not fully capture the scope of it. Until years later, we can look back and be like, oh, yes. And Joseph must have felt the same, right? Like so much injustice, so much unfairness. He did not deserve to be thrown in a hole. Right. He did not deserve to be sold into slavery. He did not deserve to be falsely accused of taking advantage of Potiphar's wife. He did not deserve to be left in prison. Mm -hmm. He didn't deserve any of these things. Mm -hmm. All of this was unfair. Right. Who knows what prayers he prayed in those that decade, two decades, however long it was of God please get me out of enslavement. God, please get me out of prison. Mm -hmm, God, please mm -hmm. clear my name. And those prayers seemingly not being answered. Yes. And yet God and his goodness was with him because it says anywhere that Joseph was, like things went well in that atmosphere, right? He wasn't (laughs) saved from his things, but God was doing something through his presence in Joseph and Joseph's presence in those places. But then as you mentioned, you know, we get to the end of the story and we find out that whereas Joseph's prayers might have been for Joseph, God, make my life better. Uh-huh. God was like, I'm trying to do something far exceedingly more. Yes. Like, I'm trying yes. to do something on a national level. Yes. So I get it. You don't want to be falsely accused and imprisoned, but I'm doing something far greater that's going to impact not just you, but this kingdom mm-hmm. and your family miles and miles away and people you will never meet. Uh-huh. And so now here you are, you know, you went through this really traumatic journey that was incredibly unfair. Even when the trial said he is not guilty, Mm -hmm. it didn't suddenly fix everything. Like in in deep unfairness that hits not just on functional levels, but internal, emotional, spiritual levels Mm -hmm. that spread for 30 years to the point where you're like still (laughs) processing it. You finally make it into a book. And what's beautiful is God can now use this or has been using it, but can now use even this book in ways that are going to be far exceedingly more than you could ask or imagine Mm -hmm. that will actually Mm -hmm. somehow be more good than the good that you had hoped he would do. (laughs) And the crazy part is, is you may never hear about these things. (laughs) You may never know. That's right. I may. Exactly. How do you feel about that? Like, because you're saying that with a smile. So it seems like you are content with God doing this greater good that you may never see the fruit of. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'll know someday. Someday it will all come out and everything, you know, in heaven is going to be revealed. And so I look forward to to that happening. But, you know, you were talking and, and that reminded me of something. While I was going through all of this, you know, I had to actually go on the witness stand and be questioned by the prosecution, which was terrifying. So I was going through the trial we were going through all of these things that were happening, you know, killing myself, all of this stuff. 
I still held down a job, a full-time job. And in fact, I was getting promotions. (laughs) So, so, you know, God was, he still was there working in my life and and keeping things together for us because we had so many bills after all of this, you know, it was just a huge, huge expense. That's something else you don't think about, Mm -hmm. but that was another thing that he took care of. I kept the job and actually it was kind of a refuge to be able to go to work and not have to think about, you know, the things that were happening. So inside of all of the things that seem to be going wrong, if a person is so inclined to do this, you can find God working. You can find God's goodness in your life. You know, it, it, it might be something very simple and very basic, but he's, he's still there. He's still there and he's still working. It's something that it's taken me years to get here. And I'm hoping and praying that my book will help other people find God as well. That's really, you know, the way that I'm approaching this. And if it does, you know, that's fabulous. I mean, then, but that, but it's God that's doing that. Uh, You know, it's not my wonderful abilities to write. I learned how to write how I talk, which was very difficult because I was a technical writer for many years. Mm -hmm. That's what I did when all of this was going on. And technical writing and writing from the heart, writing a memoir are very different types of writing. But in writing to my friend in Nigeria, I found my voice. I found a the writing voice that I needed to learn how to use again. So everything that happened just happened for a reason. From one stepping stone to another stepping stone, one thing I learn, and then I use what I learn at the next moment, you know, the next thing that happens in my life. So my whole life has been a learning experience, but it's also been one that's been guided. And I can look back I'm old now. <laughs> I, I can look back. I've got years. I've got decades of examples of how God has just been there. And he's taken me step by step along this route to where I am now. And I, I just am very grateful. Yeah. There may be somebody listening now that is in the midst of an unfair situation. Uh, what would you say to encourage them? Just trust God and be grateful that you're going through it. It's hard to do, but If you can thank God for what's happening or just thank God for anything, it will help to alleviate some of the suffering. I suffered greatly, but a lot of that was because I allowed fear to take over. I allowed myself to become enveloped in the emotions of the circumstances. The fear was what was, you know, really driving my emotions. I think gratefulness is kind of the opposite of fear. It drives it away. Once you're grateful and you're thanking God and you're in that mode, you're not afraid. You're you're just trusting God and you're just understanding that he is in charge. And I would say that's one of my most common comments to my friend in Nigeria when we talk about some of the events that are happening in the world today is God is in charge. God is in control. And that's something I think that everybody needs to remember is he's got it. Yeah. There's so much more that we could talk about, but time is not on our side. Yeah. (laughs) So I have two more questions. The first is if somebody wanted to read more of your story or connect with other content of yours or connect with you, how can they do so? My website is probably the easiest way. And my website is just my name. And that's SusanLouiseGabriel.com. 
And if they want to write to me, they can write to me at my initials, SLG at SusanLouiseGabriel.com. So it's a, a really easy thing to remember. My book is on Amazon. I'm in the process of actually producing a second edition of the book. Mm. If people want to wait for that, it's going to be out in probably a, a couple of weeks. Right now, the only thing out there is an ebook, which is like a Kindle book, but I'm going to be publishing a paperback and a hardback and also a large print edition. And if I get the time to do it, I'm also going to do an audio book. That's exciting. Yeah. And then my last question is, is there anything else on your heart or mind that you just feel like you want to share before we go? <sighs> Gratefulness. <laughs> Thank you so much. You found me on this one. Uh, I, I had approached different people, different podcasters, but this this is one. This is God put this one together because... You approached me and, you know, he wanted us to get together and have this conversation. So I am just very grateful for that. So and grateful to you. Thank you. I really appreciate that you've asked me to do this. Yeah, my pleasure. Here's what's funny is the way that Podmatch works for people that don't know. It's like a dating app for podcasters. Yeah. <laughs> and you can right. choose when you're looking for matches, whether you're getting host or whether you're getting guests. And I was in a place where I was hoping to be a guest more. So I had set it to host on this occasion. It, I guess, ran out of host and just showed me a guest and you had popped up. And normally my response <laughs> to that, it's like, I'm not trying to get another guest. <laughs> I'm trying to find a host. But there is something about your story that just really, like I said at the start, that topic of unfairness, I feel like is so, so, so relevant and important for so many people. Mm -hmm. And so I agree mm -hmm. with you. It was definitely a God orchestrated thing to bring about this conversation. And I'm excited to see you know, how he'll use it in mm -hmm. somebody's life because yeah. that's just how he does. <laughs> yeah, he does. I, and I know he will. You will walk, you will run, dance through the streets, shouting There comes a point in Joseph's story where he reveals himself to his brothers, and shortly after, their father dies. And when this happens, the brothers get fearful, because in their mind, their father was the only thing keeping Joseph from exacting revenge on them. They say, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they go back to him, and one of the things they say to him is, we are your slaves. Now let's pause here for a moment, because when we're talking about unfairness, there are certain ways that our minds believe that things should go. There are certain things that have to happen in order for things to now be fair, restored, fixed, and just. And so in the story of Joseph, it would be very easy for someone to say, well, Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery. Therefore, them becoming his slaves is the right thing to do. That's justice, that'll make things right, that'll bring restoration, because now everything's even. But this is not how Joseph responds. When they say to him, we are your slaves, he says back, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. On a very practical level, 
Joseph's life was upended in an unfair way, and he experienced enslavement and imprisonment, and decades of his life lost. And on a human level, we would say for him to reassure them and speak kindly to them, for him to not get even an ounce of revenge is wrong. Joseph's missing out on what he is owed, what he is due. But God functions in a very different way than we do. One way that many believers talk about it is the idea of an upside-down kingdom, where the kingdom of God functions in an upside-down way, where up is down and left is right. We see it in moments where Jesus says the first will be last and the last shall be first. We see it throughout scripture where God calls the least of these to do the greatest things. And we see it in moments like this, where human logic would say this is what justice will be. And God says, yeah, I want you to do the opposite. I want you to love your enemy. I want you to forgive those who persecute you. And if you're feeling like this does not feel good, if you're looking at your own life and wrestling with the idea of forgiving, (laughs) it's okay. Because you're actually probably right. Your logic is probably pretty solid. And the tricky thing is, is God is calling us to his foolishness. He's calling us to something that could actually cost us more than we're willing to give. But this is the kicker. I heard it put in a powerful way by my friend Jeff Swan during a sermon he was giving a couple weeks ago. And I don't know if these were his words or someone else's words that he had heard. What he said is this. The question is not, what will it cost me if I follow Jesus? The question should be, what will it cost me if I don't? Joseph would have been justified in exacting revenge at any given point of his journey. But he chose to be faithful to God and to trust God in his circumstances, no matter how hard, unfair, or unjust they got. And the end result was that he ended up in a place that he could never have gotten to on his own and brought a healing to entire nations of people. Now, not all of us are going to have this same trajectory. Not all of us are going to become second in command and stop a nationwide famine. But what we can know is that God can do abundantly more than we could ask or imagine. That if we are willing to trust him in our situations, to die to self, and to pursue his will and his glory and his means rather than our own, God can and will do something greater than we could have on our own. Part of Susan's healing was forgiving her enemies and thanking God for the hard journey. But in that, God has opened up something beautiful in her life, a way for her story to bring hope and life and a sense of God to others. All of this can hit like a platitude, so hear my heart. I hear you. I know the pain of unfairness. I know the pain of being misrepresented or misperceived or accused of something you didn't do. And I know the pain of it seeming like there's no way to make it right. No way to change somebody's mind. No way to find an exit. But the good news is we don't have to escape anything. Because God is with us. Just as he was with Susan on that mountain. He is with you right now. So you don't need to fix. You don't need to correct. You don't need to escape. You don't need to give up. You just need to look to him and say, Alright God, here I am. Who are you? Even if it's in the deep way that Susan did it, where she said, God, you're going to have to prove yourself. Fine. But the invitation is to stop and say, what if God actually is here with me? What if God is actually real and loving and good, even in the midst of this unfairness? 
Am I willing to step towards this God? And if you do, you may just be surprised at what he shows about his upside down kingdom. You may just be surprised by the peace he can bring that defies understanding. You may just be surprised by the healing that comes even when the circumstances don't change. Because God can do abundantly more than we could ask or imagine. God's wisdom is foolishness to us, but man is it wise. So if you're willing, consider God's presence now. Take a step towards him no matter how small. And then ask yourself, where did you see God? Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Where Did You See God podcast. And I would love for your stories to be a part of it as well. So there are a number of ways that you can do that. You can check out our Facebook page at Where Did You See God podcast. You can go to anchor.fm slash Where Did You See God, or you can leave a brief voice message at 804-372-3836. I would love to hear your stories. And if the stories you've heard have encouraged you, Uh, Think of someone else who could be encouraged as well and share it with them. The music you've been listening to is You'll Walk, You'll Run by Urban Doxology. They are a solid group and you will love listening to the rest of their music. So check them out. And as always, as you go through your day, ask yourself, where did you see God?